0: on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. I am once again your host, Dr. Casey Grover. A brief follow-up from the last episode on benzodiazepine dependence. I should have actually clarified when you should consider tapering people off of their benzodiazepines in the emergency department and acute care setting. And I think I just wanted to clarify that you don't have to start a taper and refer people for treatment just because they're on chronic benzodiazepines. It's really only when benzodiazepines are a problem that needs to be addressed. So that might be when the patient presents to the hospital or the emergency department asking for help with benzodiazepine use. It might be when you as a clinician identify benzodiazepine use disorder and need to start treatment during your evaluation of the patient or when they're sent to the ED or the hospital for management or stabilization of their benzodiazepine use disorder. Hopefully you found the article on benzodiazepine dependence helpful. I know I learned a lot by putting it together. So on to today's episode. And in today's episode, we're gonna be doing another literature review and we're gonna be reviewing the paper titled a qualitative study of emergency department patients who survived an opioid overdose, perspectives on treatment and unmet needs. And this is from Academic Emergency Medicine, 2021. So very fresh from the literature. The lead author is Catherine Hawk and the senior author is Gail D'Onofrio. These are both giants in addiction and emergency medicine. So you know the paper's gotta be good. So the authors begin with an introduction describing why this matters. And the first is, opioid use disorder has a high morbidity and mortality with over 50,000 opioid overdose deaths in 2019. The one-year mortality after a non-fatal opioid overdose in the emergency department is about 5%. Unfortunately, effective linkage to treatment for patients after a non-fatal opioid overdose is low at actually under 15%. The literature That exists on initiating patients with opioid use disorder on medication assisted treatment in the emergency department is actually pretty good. But in these studies, very few of the patients in the studies presented after an overdose. So they identify a gap in the literature that they're trying to fill. What were the methods of this paper? Basically, the authors wanted to sit down and talk to patients and hear their experiences after an overdose. And specifically, an opioid overdose. They did a brief quantitative survey and then did some semi structured interviews with adult ED patients. Their inclusion criteria number one, an overdose prior to arrival. Number two, not suicidal. Number three, did not require hospitalization. Number four, were not currently on medication assisted treatment. Number five, the patients had to speak English. And number six, obviously, The participants had to give consent. The enrollment and interviews were conducted by an emergency physician, a psychology student, or a medical student who was under the supervision of the emergency physician, and they basically tried to address five domains for each patient in their interviews and encounters. Number one, what happened in the most recent overdose. Number two, the overdose and substance use history of the patient. Number three, the patient's knowledge about overdoses in general. Number four, patterns of substance use. And number five, what the patient perceived her or his needs were. The study was done between 2016 and 2020, and the authors tried to break down which problems were more individual, which were more interpersonal, and which were more organizational. So they tried to understand the context of each of the problems or issues that they identified. They were able to enroll 24 participants. The mean age was 33, they were two-thirds male. They were 83% white. 83% met criteria for opioid dependence. Of the enrolled patients, the mean number of overdoses in their lifetime was 3.25. 95% had heroin as their opioid of choice. For the overdose that brought the patient to the hospital, there was a co-ingestion of benzodiazepines or alcohol at a rate of 50%. 75% of the patients had had previous experience with treatment for substance use disorder, and almost all of them reported a need or desire to stop using whatever drug they were using. Again, most of these were heroin. They did find some factors associated with an increased risk of overdose. Number one was recent incarceration. Number two, recent tapering of medications for medication-assisted treatment. And number three, recent discharge from a treatment program and that all makes sense because these are people for whom their tolerance is down and they're going to be more susceptible to an overdose at their baseline or previous dosing of opioids meaning a person might use a certain amount of opioid and they become tolerant so they can use at that amount as they no longer use that tolerance goes away and so they're more susceptible to overdose when going back to those old levels. The authors identified eight themes in all the interviews that they felt were worth discussing. The first theme was perceptions about personal control over their drug use. And here, patients actually reported a very wide variation in their perceptions about their ability to control future drug use. Some were confident, some were not confident, some felt that it was really all out of their control interestingly the ones who were confident that they could stop using drugs very easily tended to minimize their drug use and minimize their need for treatment. Folks that felt that it was more out of their control tended to say things like, oh it was just a bad batch or I just have bad luck, raising a question about how accountable they were willing to be for what had happened. The second theme was looking at the patient's experience with substance use treatment. Most of the participants had been in treatment for substance use disorder previously, interestingly, most patients felt the treatment was ineffective or with a limited sustainable impact upon their drug use. Most people who had been on methadone previously did not want to go back on it, citing issues like having to go to the clinic daily or side effects. And interestingly also, and this makes sense, a positive previous treatment experience was predictive of a positive perspective about treatment. The third theme they identified was the role of interpersonal relationships. Relationships with friends and family can be a barrier to treatment or facilitate treatment. Relationships with friends and family imparted a sense of meaning and a connection to others, and for many of these folks was a reason to live. On the opposite, a lack of connection resulted in feelings of alienation and isolation, and these people tended to feel that entering treatment would be pointless. Theme number four were provider communication skills. There was a lot of personal shame and guilt or anger felt by these patients after an overdose, and it could be exacerbated by how their first responders or emergency department staff interacted with them. Unfortunately, patients felt routinely diminished and scorned by their providers. And I'm gonna quote from one of the patients, quote, I mean, honestly, the thing that bothers me is the looks. It's like every nurse in the emergency room has to come and walk by me like, you're the girl that overdosed, and it's kind of like, she's just a drug addict, so who cares, end quote. When asked how to further improve communication, participants noted the importance of empathetic listening by ED staff. Now, this is outside of the paper. I don't know how it is where you work, but I'm super busy on shift, and so this is where, in my department, our substance use navigator, She's a drug and alcohol counselor dedicated to our emergency department and our social workers can be awesome because they don't have to see the constant flow of patients coming through the ED. They can actually sit down with the patient and in my department, my ED social workers and my substance use navigator are awesome at providing empathetic listening. The fifth theme was the role of stigma. Stigma was reported as a barrier to seeking medical care in general people were ashamed of their overdose, and the shame was worse when they felt more exposed and visible when seeking medical care. There were staff checking on them, they kept having to answer the same questions about what happened, and they might even be in an open area, such as a waiting room or hallway. And substance use tends to be something that, when people are embarrassed about it, they use in private. And having to be in a medical setting, they have to talk or at least be asked about what happened. And people felt very judged in this study. I believe that stigma is a major issue. I will actually be giving grand rounds at my hospital in the fall on stigma, and I look forward to putting together a podcast on that topic. The sixth theme was the ED as a source of resources. Almost all of the participants felt that the emergency department should provide resources after an overdose. Harm reduction and naloxone were felt to be very important. And participants, for the most part, wanted help meeting basic needs like housing, basic medical care, mental health care, and employment. And actually, the lack of permanent housing was identified as a major issue, and some identified that lacking housing was a conduit to ongoing drug use. And we'll come back to that in just a little bit in one of the later themes. Theme seven was the impact of treatment policies. And here, patients reported that there are often challenging requirements for entry into substance use treatment programs. People reported that they were turned away for being, quote, not sick enough, end quote, like they're not in withdrawal, or for financial concerns. Basically, people felt like the system was often not able to help them when they wanted or needed the help. Theme eight was support for unmet basic needs, and this is similar to number six. Patients reported that unmet housing and basic needs such as employment or mental health were key priorities. Very specifically, participants noted that mental health was a unique and important concern. And participants felt that meeting housing, employment, and mental health needs could actually reduce drug use. They reported that basically being homeless with unoccupied time around other people with substance use disorder leads to more drug use. And this makes very intuitive sense. If you have nothing else to do, as a homeless person, but spend time with people who are also using you're more likely to use. And the eighth theme was the last one. The authors then move on to a discussion and they basically make kind of three basic points. Number one, the authors highlight that they have identified several issues that need to be addressed to improve care of patients after an overdose. First, reducing stigma, second, increasing access to services, and third, they highlight the importance of interpersonal relationships. The next big point that the authors make in the discussion is they offer some options to address these issues. They suggest things like low-barrier substance use disorder clinics, which are basically how to make it easy to people get started with a treatment program. I'll give you an example. In my county, we have a homeless population in an area called Chinatown. Most of these folks do not have transportation. And many of them aren't aware if their insurance is active or how to use it. So we are starting a buprenorphine clinic at the syringe exchange program in Chinatown, meaning these folks can literally walk as little a distance as 50 feet to come to the syringe exchange program, and they can start getting into a program. So how do you make it easy for patients to get started? The other suggestion that the authors make is to offer safe and non-judgmental spaces to discuss and provide resources. I'm very grateful in my emergency department, we have all private rooms. So for our department, it works great. We just have our ED social workers or our ED substance use navigator come and see the patient in their private room. Patients mentioned that being in a public area like a waiting room or even a hallway was a place where they felt more stigma when they had to talk about their problems when other people could hear. The authors make their third point in the discussion with just some general observations. The first is is that we as clinicians tend to focus on the medical treatment. However, patients tend to focus more on their unmet needs like housing and employment. Patients interestingly may not be interested in seeking treatment for their substance use disorder after an overdose. And this is actually a point where we, along with our social work and drug and alcohol counselor colleagues, can use techniques like motivational interviewing or brief negotiation interviews to increase motivation for treatment. So what are my take-home points here? I came up with five that I felt were really helpful. Number one, an overdose is not always a rock bottom event that motivates people to get treatment. Some patients may not be interested in our offers of substance use disorder treatment after an overdose. Number two, interpersonal relationships are huge. Positive relationships are motivation for change, and isolation reduces motivation for change. Number three, treat patients with substance use disorder with respect. Judging them doesn't help them stop using. Feeling stigmatized and judged results in patients seeking less medical care in general which leads to worse health in all domains. Number four, people want and need resources without barriers like housing, medical care, mental health care, and employment. It's hard to stop using opiates or other drugs when you're homeless, unemployed, with no medical care, and you're surrounded by other people who use drugs. And this is where our social workers and ed substance use navigators can be huge. Number five, get naloxone in the hands of your patients and your community. This was a study of non-fatal opioid overdose patients. We never got to hear from the patients who died from an overdose. That wraps up this episode. I hope you found this literature review was helpful. Wishing you a great day, a great week, a great month, and we'll see you at the next episode.